Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Categorically Romance podcast. My name is Sarah. And I'm Bree. And joining us on the podcast today, we have special guest author Kathy McDavid. You guys, we are so excited. Thank mm-hmm. you so much for joining us today, Kathy. Please. Oh my I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Share with us how 2021 is going for you and how you've been taking care of yourself this year. Wow. It's been, you know, uh, it's it's been an interesting year and a half. It's been kind of a a tough time. And, you know, having I've been writing full time since 2014. So that part wasn't a change as far as being home all the time. But, you know, um, there's been some good and bad things. And I'm not going to bring the interview down. My mother, I did lose my mother this year. So that was. I'm sorry. Yeah, you know, it was expected and not expected as those things go. So, mm-hmm. um, but it was, that was a little rough for me. Um, but however, we're, things are looking a little brighter. We're actually, my husband and I are taking our first trip. We're leaving in three days uh, since before the pandemic. So, and my daughter's meeting us. We're doing, uh, everybody can be jealous. We're doing wine tasting up and down the California coast. Oh so, my, and my daughter's going to meet us in San Diego. And my husband and I, my daughter, we're going to take a week and be traveling up and down the California coast. So really excited about that. Hopefully we'll be finishing off the year on a very positive note and, and looking forward to that. But, uh, oh, how fun. That yeah. is so exciting. I hope yeah. that, you know, that we get some like romance novel inspiration. During right? This. You never know. You know, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Can I fit cowboys in there? But maybe I can work that out. I don't know. Sure. Yeah. Why not? You know? Cowboys in wine country. I don't see a problem. <laughs> I could do that. I can work on that. So that'll be exciting. But, you know, again, not much change for me as far as I've been working at home for a long time, but mm-hmm. uh, didn't like. You know, having the husband around as much as I've done without that. Um, the other nice thing this year was my son moved about 10 minutes away from me. So oh. he'd been much further away before. So that's nice to have him that close. And I'm really glad about that. So because I miss my daughter. She lives in Washington State and I'm in Arizona, obviously. So it's really nice to have my son so close. Oh, wow. So let's kick things off with some holiday icebreakers. Share with us your great Santa Claus reveal story. How did you learn who he really, who was really bringing you the gifts each year? You know, this isn't like such a great story, but I remember every detail of it. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> it's so vivid in my mind. And I was apparently a very naive child because I, I bought in. I, I totally bought into the whole Santa Claus myth. And I probably was much older than kids normally are. I had to oh my gosh, eight or nine years old, probably nine, which is probably, I think, old for, for kids mm-hmm. to find out. And we were, I'll never forget, we're driving in the car and my brother and I are in the backseat. My brother's a year older than I am. So he was whatever, 10, I'm nine, he's 10. My mom's driving and she's telling me a story. And she says, well, you know, I've got to tell you this. I need you to know um, before you find out at school, you know, Santa Claus isn't real. And I was so devastated. I, I mean, I was completely I mean, I was shocked. I had no idea. Now, how I could have gone that long and not known, but I mean, I I was devastated. The world just, you know, shifted. (laughs) I never forgot that. I can remember going very quiet and just thinking, Santa Claus is not real. 
what else is not real? Yeah. 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 (laughs) But anyway, it was not such a big thing as it was just in the car, my mom driving, but boy, I remember the impact. I do remember the shock. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. I think as a parent, like that's your, that's the fear is some other kid like making fun of your kid because they don't know I it's mm-hmm. just it, it's yeah <laughs> my mom probably thought she's so old I have to tell her yeah <laughs> yeah she's getting older yeah she's gonna go off to college still thinking <laughs> Santa Claus <laughs> you know? but I remember feeling that too I remember being mm-hmm. I'm like I I think my mom was I think it was the same she was just like okay you're getting a little old now I need to go yeah. ahead and tell you this because I do remember when I found out I still really believe like no one had really no one had ruined it for me and so when she told me I was like I do remember being just kind of heartbroken it's kind of like this loss of innocence you know like wow Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I was looking at my brother like you knew and he's like yeah I've known for a while (laughs) (laughs) didn't tell me you know No honor among siblings. I know. <laughs> it was fun. Um, what is one of your favorite holiday films? You know, and I have two, and I and maybe you'll guess why I like them so much when I tell you the titles, but one is The Family Stone, and the other is The Family Man. Now, they're probably not, I don't know, not the most well-known Christmas mm-hmm. movies, but they're, they're romances, really, when you mm-hmm. get down to it. That's probably why I like them so well. You know, yeah. um, I can't even say necessarily like in the in the Family Man that I'm a Nicolas Cage fan so much, but that's probably the movie I like best of all that he did. I I just think it's a it really is a romance, and and the Family Stone I don't know it has a great cast. It, it has a real ensemble cast, and I just enjoy that too. I don't know. I like <laughs> that's more of a family movie, but I, you know, I I can't say that I naming any of the traditional movies like you know Miracle and. 32nd Street, or is it 32nd Street? 34th, I think. <laughs> but next to that is probably the animated Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. You know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> My next favorite one. I love those old cartoon ones. The yeah. really old one, yeah. I know. <laughs> Where I thought the animation was really sophisticated and now <laughs> Oh, and Jack Frost, the Jack Frost ones. I love it. (laughs) Didn't one of them, they they wanted to be a dentist? That was his big thing. He wanted to be a dentist. I'm pretty sure it wasn't. Wasn't that Rudolph? I I think it was Rudolph, yeah. And Frosty melts. Mm -hmm. Yeah, our tradition is watching uh, the Muppets. um, Oh, gosh. The Muppet Christmas Carol. That's my all-time favorite. Okay. There's something about a rat telling the Charles Dickens story that just appeals to me. Well, my sister is a huge Grinch fan and she like hit up Hobby Lobby the other day and she called me and all I saw was this little like wooden block piece that has the Grinch with that like famous Grinch smile and it said, wow. all your sweaters are ugly. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh my gosh, it's awful, but in the worst, like in the best way possible. Well, yeah. <laughs> well I kind of like... I don't watch as many, you know, you go through that period because you watch all the Christmas movies when you're a kid sure. and then you watch them when you have your kids, you know, so I'm sort of in that in-between stage because I don't have any grandkids yet. So, you know, <laughs> I'll get back to watching them all again at some point. <laughs> we'll see. You're walking down the street in a great mood. What holiday song is playing in the background? This was so easy. Silver Bells. I just, you know, I hear that song, I think of Christmas. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and, and there's, you know, I mean, I'm literally one of those people, there's a line in that song about uh, the red and green flashy lights and at Christmas, I'll be driving at night, you know, look at those red and green lights. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, I just, you know, I like a lot of traditional Christmas songs probably more than, I mean, I listen to a lot. I'm one of those people. Yes, I have the Christmas station on. Not quite at Thanksgiving, but soon after Thanksgiving. (laughs) Certainly by the first week of December, I'm listening, you know, to Mm -hmm. Christmas music on the radio. And and, and I kind of like the more traditional ones, but I like the current pop ones too. We have a radio station up here that starts playing them November 1st. Yeah. And they only play Christmas music until December 25th. Wow. (laughs) Two months. (laughs) Yeah, that feels that feels so old school. It's fun, but it's a little much. Yeah, <laughs> get a little much. It's get a, a little, little much. much you know? All the but time. Not, <laughs> yeah, well, I'm not in the car as much as I used to be. You know, especially plus working. You know, always from home now, and then because of the pandemic, it's I just don't drive like I used to, which mm-hmm. has hurt my audiobook listening um, <laughs> hobby. So. Uh, which of your loved ones is the toughest to holiday shop for? My husband, no question. Hands down. You know, my always kids, the husband. Yeah, it is. And, you know, though this Christmas, I think I'm going to do okay. I have a couple ideas. But what makes it so hard for him, too, is his birthday is December 1st. And oh. so I feel like, you know, it's not that getting the gifts is so hard, but I have to get two gifts so close together. And so that seems to make it harder where I have the courtesy of having a birthday in July, making it very easy on people. (laughs) There's a nice six month spread, you know, think about it and then you you get a break for a little while. But this year I actually have a list, but I am one of those people that when I think of things during the year, I, I have a list. I keep a Mm -hmm. list that when I have an idea for him, I write it down, even if it's not a great idea, because I really get kind of desperate. But I might have this uh, this Christmas figured out. I'm not going to say what I'm going to get him because he's probably going to listen to this podcast. So, but my kids are like gift cards, gift cards. So, yeah, know. yeah. Share with us your least favorite and most favorite holiday dishes. Well, I have to think about least favorite because I like everything, as my padded hips will tell you. So probably my least favorite, I thought, I thought I think a mincemeat pie. Is that a holiday meal? Yeah, it is. I, I thought, I haven't had that for years, but my mom used to make it and I didn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> so, most, what I like the most is hard because I like everything, but I do like turkey and stuffing. I guess mm-hmm. That's a favorite. And I'm actually going to try to make it for Thanksgiving. I have not made a turkey and stuffing in a long time, but let's try this year. I'd, I'd like to be, everyone's like, what would you do if you had a lot of money? And I'm like, hire a cook. I would have a yeah. full-time cook, you know, more than anything else. Cause I don't, it's not, I, I'm not much of a cook and it's, it's a chore. So. Mm-hmm. It is, and some yeah. people love it. And I appreciate the people who love it. I'm like, Oh, I wish I loved it. Cause I'd love to eat, but I, I don't know. For me, it's always been a bit of a chore. <laughs> wish I didn't like to eat so much. <laughs> <laughs> Was there ever a gift you really hoped for and never received? You know, this was an interesting question because I thought maybe I shouldn't tell this story. (laughs) There's nothing when I was a kid, or at least I can't remember anything. I can't remember time being a kid and thinking, oh, I really want this Malibu Barbie or something. I didn't get it. I I don't remember that. What I do remember is being younger and uh, dating a guy. And I wanted an engagement ring for Christmas. (laughs) And I really, really did. And I didn't get it. And, you know, it's probably for the best I didn't get it, you know. Mm -hmm. 
things work out, but I can remember being really disappointed that I didn't and really, really wanting one and, and not getting it. But like I said, <laughs> I think in the long run, that probably worked out. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that sounds like the start to a Hallmark movie. Uh, yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> get my engagement ring yeah (laughs) but that's the only time I can really think of anything and and being there with the family and opening all the presents and we didn't get it (laughs) yep as as someone who did get the engagement ring on Christmas and then promptly splitting up in the following May it was fine (laughs) yeah like I said it probably was for the best yep yep Met my husband a few years later. All was good. Yeah, no. I always say it's, you know, it's where it's not how you start the race. It's how you end it. So, you know. Exactly. What has been one of the most memorable gifts you received? Well, this is a great story because a lot of people say, you know, what I think people sometimes don't understand what when they say they want romance from their partner. And they don't understand, you know, what really romance is. And they think it's just taking, oh, they should take you out to dinner or something. I'm going to tell you a story what my husband did. And this is, this is romance for me. We had been going out. Uh, I don't know if anyone knows. We actually knew each other in high school. Uh, we've, we were celebrating our fifth anniversary mm-hmm. coming up. Uh, we knew each other in high school. We did not date. And we, we re-met at a reunion seven and a half years ago. So that's, that itself is kind of neat. So mm-hmm. we've been going out a while and he wanted to read one of my books now he's only read one but this that's not the that's not the lesson in the story so i gave him at the time i gave him a book i think was called the rancher's homecoming which was a harlequin western book and he read the book and you know it was nice okay you know i get it he reads a lot but he doesn't read romance and romance isn't necessarily guys thing. well in that particular story the heroine had the hero had given the heroine a sapphire necklace and that had been lost which she had read and was sad about and it was she found it and she recovered it and so it was nice and that's happened in the story anyway my birthday came up a month or a couple months later and he got me a sapphire necklace never said a word but you know i knew as soon as i opened it up that he'd gotten it out of the book yeah (laughs) it was so recent you know and i thought wow that's really romantic because he saw that in the book, you know, yeah. he read that in the book, I guess made an impression or something, but he remembered it. And then he bought me a necklace for my birthday, a sapphire necklace. And I thought that was really sweet. I always remembered that as, as something special. I thought, no, that's romantic. That <laughs> is. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. I mean, he definitely paid attention to he did, right? like, a, I don't want to say a small detail, but a small detail, yeah. you know, like that that's awesome it was it was meaningful because it was in the book you know mm-hmm. and he's actually pretty good he's pretty good about getting me what he gets for me he's probably much better at getting me gifts than i am at getting him gifts. <laughs> same same mm-hmm. <laughs> i'm actually pretty impressed sometimes anyway. well we love to hear romance origin stories so can you share with us how you became a romance reader and this is interesting i did not start reading romance books at all ever i was a voracious reader always always from the time I was a little kid. And on a side note, I joke about reading like Walter Farley books, the Black Stallion books. And I actually have been on a mission to collect books um, that I read as a child that were printed at a time that I could have read them, if you know what I mean, in the year, you know, that particular printing. So I I always, you know, kind of hound used bookstores and find them. So anyway, I read voraciously, but I did not read romance till college. And actually, I remember very clearly, I can tell you the first 
I can't tell you the name of the author, but it was, I was a sophomore in college and I was in the college bookstore and I had to do a lot of reading for, you know, you when you read for college, you're reading a lot of probably literary stuff. I remember taking a Russian literature class, you know, and all this kind of dry things or, you know, English literature, whatever you're, you're reading. And I wanted something light. I was like, I'm so tired of reading this stuff. I need something entertaining. And I wandered over into the genre fiction section of the bookstore and bought a romance book. I wrote, I bought a historical romance and loved it, just loved it. And told my roommate, oh, I just read this great book. You've got to read it too. And, and she did. And then I just started buying romances after that. And mm-hmm. historical romances were the first ones I bought and read. I didn't start reading contemporary till a little few years later. But anyway, that was just it. It was just on a whim because I was tired of college reading. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think historicals are a lot of people's gateway into. Uh... <laughs> they were mine. I mean, yep. You know, I think I went back and read, I mean, seriously, I believe I've actually read Rosemary Rogers and, and <laughs> Catherine Widowis and, and some of the other ones. You know? They're iconic for a reason. <laughs> they are. They are interesting. But anyway, I don't remember that the name of that first book or the author, but I just remember it was a historical romance with probably a bodice uh, ripping cover, I'm sure. <laughs> That started it. In 1998, you entered the world of publishing with your novel Wild Notion, which was published by Neighborhood Press Publishing. What was your journey to becoming published like? Okay. Well, this is how naive I was back in 1998. <laughs> uh, and I'd been writing for about five years when I actually uh, sold that book to Neighborhood Press. I literally thought they were like a big publisher. I really thought when I... I was so naive. I thought when I sold my book to them that I was going to go in the grocery store and see my book because <laughs> I didn't know. I was in this isolated little world where I, I mean, I get, boy, that naive kid who believed in Santa Claus, the same thing. You know, I, I'd written this book and I mean, and I, and I think I started in another couple books or several, you know, in those days, you, you it was very different. You were obviously uh, targeting traditional publishers. There was self-publishing was, it was around, but it wasn't like it is now. And eBooks were just starting to come about, you know, and I would send my manuscript off, you know, and I thought, I just thought, you know, St. Martin's was going to buy my book. You know? <laughs> I, mean, I thought it was. And somebody I knew sold to Neighborhood Press and I thought, well, I'll send them my book, you know, because I pretty much exhausted all the, the big publishers then. And, and uh, it was, you know, it was a disappointing experience. It, it didn't work out, um, but I learned a lot. But again, I was so naive. I literally thought, I, this is it. This is the big time I've sold. You know? And it was kind of a shocker to, to face the reality that it was a very tiny, small press and that, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't going to be, uh, you know, hitting the New York Times. <laughs> but I learned a lot. It started a journey and that's what matters. Yeah, that's one publishing house, like a, a press that we hadn't heard of before. Oh my gosh, you know, they were tiny. But again, I was so ignorant. And they had been doing some advertising in the RWR. So I didn't know, you know, I thought, oh, mm-hmm. okay. That's how naive I was, you know. And I I joined RWA at right around that time. And that's when I, right about the time I sold to them, I joined RWA. So that helped me, you know, that's that started me. They did a lot to help me in early in my career and, and to learn, you know, mm-hmm. the ropes a little bit. So I got smarter. Well, you published Wild Notion, and then you published The Attraction Factor. Mm -hmm. 
can you talk about what the world of romance publishing looked like at the time that you were entering it? You know, it's interesting because I just actually wrote an article about this. And I don't know when it's going to come out. So it's it, it's similar to kind of going into the Wayback Machine here and talking about that. But again, like I said, you know, in those days, you aimed, you still aimed for the traditional publishers. Okay. Um, or most people did. You know, and I had this this strategy, for lack of a better word, as I got a little, as I gained a little knowledge and learned things. And I would start with submitting to my dream publishers. So, of course, I would submit to Harlequin or I would submit to St. Martin's or I think Warner was around at the time or, you know, the various different publishers. As I got rejected, I would I would go down that list. And when I exhausted them all, then I would start submitting to small presses. And, and again, I did a little more research, got a little more experience so that I was submitting to more reputable uh, small presses. And I had luck, you know, and, and I generally got accepted. I had the attraction factor. I think I did another one playing with fire or something. But I, I guess after about three or books, I, I had an experience that I realized this isn't what I want. You know, I don't want to write for small presses anymore. And mm-hmm. that experience was I sold, I guess, a novella, you would call it. They had a publication. A magazine was uh, turning out novella romances every month, and they were being sold in everywhere, grocery stores, Walmarts, everywhere, and they were sold at the checkout. And I sold one to them, and I got paid money, and I got paid pretty good money. And I will never forget walking into, well, first of all, I'd never forget going to the grocery store and seeing it and checking out and going, that's my book. Mm -hmm. And the clerk checking me out saying, oh, can I get it and have you sign it? I mean, I nothing like that had happened to me. And then going to Walmart, my kids were young and my son running through them going, mom, your, your book is here. Your book is here. And buying up like all of them. And it, I wanted that. I realized this is, this is what I want. I don't want to have a small press. The small press books are okay. And they were what they were. And they were my best effort at the time. Mm-hmm. But I realized this is, this is what I want. I want to walk into the stores and see my book. I want to be paid money for my book. You know, I want my children to be proud of me. You know, I I mean, Mm -hmm. I want that. I mean, I was walking 10 feet off the ground. And I know it sounds silly and it's small, but it it was a huge deciding factor in my life. And I chose, I had several submissions out at the time with small presses. I got two contract offers back to back and I turned them down. And I said, my next sale will be to a publisher who pays me in advance mm-hmm. and is going to distribute my book. And I didn't sell for another year and a half. And at that time I sold to still small presses, but I sold to five star. I don't know if you remember that publisher mm-hmm. and Avalon. And I okay. sold two books to each of them, but I got paid advances. I got four figure advance and I had an actual book that they distributed. Mm-hmm. So I was meeting some of my goals, but it still wasn't enough. And I stopped again there and I said, my next step, I'm not going to do anything else until I sell to a publisher that is going to put me in bookstores. And mm-hmm. about that time, I got an agent as well. And it again, it took a while, but my next sale was to Dorchester. Again, a publisher went defunct, but they, I was able to walk into Barnes and Noble and get nice. my book. And again, I'll never forget that. Literally walking into Barnes and Noble. And after that, I did two books with them and I said, you know, my next sale is going to be to Harlequin. So mm-hmm. each each thing was a stepping stone for me. And mm-hmm. as I was doing all that, ebooks were becoming more and more popular. Self publishing was starting to you know really explode. But I was very, I was very much on the track of traditional publishing. That's 
just was what I wanted. Yes, I've done a few self-published books, you know, and had some success with those a little bit, you know, but I've, I've gone the traditional route and I've been happy with that. And, and everyone has to do what, what works for them. Mm-hmm. They have to do what makes them happy, where they have a good relationship, where they, they feel they're in control or whatever, you know, but that was always my goal. And I was very, sing, you know, single-minded in my goal and mm-hmm. saying no is some of the hardest things I did because it's hard to sit there and say, no, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not, I'm not going to take that offer. I'm going to wait till I get the offer I want. Mm -hmm. And I have to believe in myself and I have to have faith that I'm going to get there, you know? So that's kind of my little story. Well, I think that's really inspiring because I I, I mean, especially during that time Mm -hmm. where you're, like neighborhood press, we had never heard of them before. And, you know, uh, there's a couple, some of the others you mentioned, we haven't heard of, but we hear all the time about these, these small, small presses that, you know, by the time the the author links up with them and they put out a book and then like two years later, they're gone. You know, it was just, Mm -hmm. it sounds like such a time of uncertainty. It is. And I thought, this is not what I want to do. And I wasn't at a point where I was going to self-publish, you know, Mm -hmm. but I had, that was my goal. I mean, I, I wanted to sell the heart and, you know, I was on that track and, and I felt like I would describe my journey there as, as stepping stones. You know, everything I did was a stepping stone to get there. Each, each contract I signed was marginally better than the last one. You know, I was Mm -hmm. trying to improve my situation each time and get a little bit closer until I finally got there. So, you know, um, so, you know, determination. Yeah, determination and discipline because I it's a good lesson. Yeah, you could easily be like, "Well, I'm just going to take this deal," and you're like, "No, I'm not. I will. Mm -hmm. I will wait." You know, like I said, I never forgot that feeling of of that little novella, that little booklet. Mm -hmm. You know, to walk into and see. You know, like I said, I just never forgot that really great feeling Mm -hmm. it gave me, and I thought, "This, this is what I want to get." Mm I want to, I want to repeat this feeling. Uh, looking through your uh, backlist titles, you've written everything from contemporary, historical to paranormal. Can you talk about your experience writing across different romance subgenres? You know, I think at first I was definitely trying to find, I, I enjoy reading a lot of things. I have very eclectic tastes in what I read. So I, a lot of that I started out writing what I like to read. But that doesn't necessarily always translate into what you write well. Just because you might like to read science fiction doesn't mean you're going to be a good science fiction writer, you know. Mm-hmm. And I actually have written a couple of science fiction short stories, believe it or not. <laughs> People probably don't know this. Way back in the day, I've written like 25 short stories too, wow. way back when. I did a couple of science fiction ones. Um, but, you know, I was trying. I liked I liked paranormal. I liked historical. I love I love suspense. It's it's one of my favorites. So I started, you know, trying to write the things that I enjoyed reading and seeing what what fits. When you're when you're learning, you're learning by trial and error. So you have to find out what what really fits your voice, what really fits your style. Mm-hmm. And I think it took a while because when I started writing the Harlequin type books, I I fell into what comes naturally. I think for me to write, and I really enjoy them. Obviously, I. I keep, you know, chucking them out. So, you know, Mm -hmm. I like doing them and I haven't grown tired of them. So, (laughs) but I've been able to do at least suspense in some of my Mm -hmm. books for Harlequin. So I have been able to, to continue with that a little bit, um, fortunately, not paranormal, but, (laughs) or historical. I just choose to, I love historical still, but I, I really like writing the contemporary family kind of stuff, you know, small town 
cowboy. So, so can you talk about your your journey to becoming published with Harlequin? I mean, we know that 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 was one of your goals. You're like, I want to write for them. So, how did it actually happen? Uh, well. I had a lot of fear, but I acted like I had no fear. And I, <laughs> I submitted and submitted and submitted and got rejected and rejected and rejected. And one of the things that I get, again, a different world. Um, I think they do a lot of this still, but they do it online. But I pitched a lot at conferences. And mm-hmm. I would actually, if I was going to a conference, I would email the editor that I wanted to meet with ahead of time and ask him if I could have coffee with them. People are like, oh, you can't do that. I'm like, well, I but I can. And I did. And I met with them. <laughs> so you, <know>. you can. <laughs> and I got a lot of rejections and I got a lot of rejections in person too. <laughs> when they take you to breakfast, sometimes they reject you. <laughs> but I kept trying, like I said. Um, and one time an editor told me very wise words that took months to sink in. And she said to me, I think you're targeting the wrong line. Again, like I said, it, it didn't strike me right away. But a few months later, I thought, maybe I am. Maybe I am targeting the wrong line. And I started to look at American. And uh, as luck would have it, a short while after that, um, as I started writing a story targeted for American, Mm -hmm. I had an opportunity at a conference to meet with the executive editor over the American line at the time, uh, Paula Eichelhoff. And she, I had with her the best editor pitch at a conference I've ever had. 10 minutes of me going in there speaking eight and a half minutes about what I had done in my career, where I intended to go and 90 seconds about here's my book. (laughs) And she said, send me three chapters. And for the first time I didn't get a rejection. I got a revision request and it took a while. Things went, you know, back and forth when I met with her, gosh, that probably took 15 months. I met with her at an RWA national conference, uh, like, probably, like I said, not that first summer, but the next summer after doing the revisions and a full manuscript and revisions on that and met with her and my current editor, Kathleen Scheibling, who's the executive editor um, at Harlequin in Toronto. And at the time, and was told, we're going to buy this book in person. So, you know, you just have to make one more round of revisions and we're going to buy the book. So it was pretty exciting. So it was, again, more more diligence, more like, <laughs> I'm, going to do this. I'm going to meet with you. I'm going to talk with you. I'm going to pitch to you. You know, I am focused <laughs> and I do everything they tell me to. I know some people say you, if you write for a publisher, you, you know, you lose some of cre- your own cre- creativity or you're writing a formula to formulatic book or whatever. Not for me. You know, I listen to my editor. I have a great relationship with Kathleen. I've been lucky to still have her all these years and she gets me and I get her and I love it. You know, and when she Mm -hmm. tells me, do I think you should make this change? I listen to her, you know, Mm -hmm. and I think she helps me make my books better. So, and I've had the honor and privilege to work with some other editors there as well. And right now I'm working with, uh, oh, well, I've worked with Johanna and uh, Dana Jamaldi. And I said, oh my God, I'm probably saying her last name wrong. We love Dana. And we Dana, love Miss oh Kathleen. Gosh. But I've been working with Dana on the two Love Inspired and she's been great. You know, mm-hmm. and they're all a little different, um, different styles, but I've been really fortunate to, like I said, to work with different editors there as well. You know, shout out to Kathleen for taking me under her wing all those years ago. Yeah. And for introducing me to other great editors as well. Well, for me personally, the American Romance line has is one of my favorites and I miss it terribly. I do too. And I have to say that your name is synonymous with it. Um, when Bree and I were talking about having you on, I'm like, she writes for American Romance. I'm like, oh yeah, and heartwarming. 
(laughs) But it's always American romance for me. But for anyone who hasn't read one of those wonderful novels, how would you describe the line to them? You know, I miss that line so much. Mm -hmm. I mean, I thought I was going to, you know, even when they changed to Western, I was fine because I was writing the cowboy books. Mm -hmm. And when I started writing for American, they didn't have a lot of cowboy books. And in fact, Kathleen asked me, she said, you know, how would you like to be doing some cowboy books? And I'm like, yeah, because as we'll maybe talk about later, that's my life. That had been my life. You know, I grew up with horses and the Western lifestyle and everything. So I'm like, of course I want to do that. Um, But uh, they're, you know, small town, obviously, you know, sense of community, Mm -hmm. uh, very um, character driven. Uh, Gosh, is this where I go back to my notes? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Feel good, you know, tug on the heartstrings. I do a lot of what I call, how I would describe my, back in the day, if you asked me how my, to describe my American romances or my Western romances, I would have said Western family dramas. I mean, really, that's how I would have described them because they were very family focused. A lot of times kids, not always kids, you know, but Mm -hmm. frequently, but that community, the families, the large extended families that went from book to book to book, Mm -hmm. you know, and uh, again, that small town feel, I think that is just so popular in romance. Mm -hmm. And um, and again, that Western hero. So can I answer the question? Definitely. <laughs> yes, ma'am. <Yeah. laughs> and I miss them. I miss them. I love heartwarming books too. Don't get me wrong. You know, they're very similar. I think that's one mm-hmm. of your questions is, is mm-hmm. how much. And they are very similar. Heartwarmings are a little longer. Mm-hmm. But I find them very similar. So I was easy. I was able to transition fairly easily to them. Okay. Um, I have to do a little bit more story because they are a little bit longer, you know, and I and I like them. I absolutely do. But I I thought I was going to write for what became Western romances, you know, to the end of my career. Yeah, I mean, I anytime I go to a thrift store now, if I see them on the shelves, I'm grabbing them all up, you know, well, like <laughs> I have them all. You want one? Let me know. I'll send it to- <laughs> <laughs> I, have like, I have a box of each. You know? <laughs> no, I really do. And, you know, I love that Harlequin reissues them all. You know? Yes. Mm-hmm. They yeah. continually reissue them, which is really great because people say to me, why don't you ask for your rights back? I go, why? Mm-hmm. Why? I mean, they literally just reissued my like third book in Australia this month. Oh, you know? wow. So why would I ask for that back? <laughs> yeah. Oh, so cool. Yeah. <laughs> So the biggest difference between American and heartwarming is the length, you'd say? Yeah. I mean, for me, me personally, what I write, it's the length. I still write the cowboy books. And when I started writing for heartwarming, same thing. They didn't have a lot of cowboy books. So when I came on, they were like, come on, okay, Kathy, you're going to write the cowboy books. And now they have a lot of cowboy books. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Two to three a month are now cowboy books because it, it is popular. And they are starting to release limited in walmart's yeah the westerns yeah yeah and i've been lucky to have a couple of my heartwarmings released in walmart's so you know they they're not doing all of them but they're doing some of them so that helps the distribution because heartwarmings are typically only available from mail order or online so yeah Yeah, it's really nice to see. Sarah and I had a great, we called it our great um, heartwarming mystery. And it was actually Miss Kathleen (laughs) that that solved it for us. We were like, there's Westerns at Walmart. Only in the U.S., not here in Canada. In in the U.S. I sent a photo to Sarah and I was like, is this a new line? And and luckily she she cleared it up for us. She's like, oh, no, 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 that's not what it is. It's just, you know, a couple of the titles will be in Walmart as Western. So yeah, I was there the other day and I I saw two of them. I was like, I just love seeing the green covers. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Cross your fingers, cross your fingers that, you know, they'll do well enough and relationship will 
they'll bring them out all the time beneficial to both parties you know yeah we'll see it'll be interesting uh with love inspired i I will because those are in bookstores as well i think as as walmart and so Mm -hmm. it'll be interesting Mm -hmm. to see how my distribution changes with that so um that's that'll be a new thing for me well you mentioned that you you love writing cowboy romances we love to read cowboy romances (laughs) we feel like they can just be so unappreciated and sometimes and we just want to scream from the rooftops that people need to read them Um, so we'd love to hear you speak about what it is that you enjoy writing about them well like I said I I, from the time I was a kid I had horses so you know I lived um, that lifestyle you know in the country lifestyle and the western lifestyle up until around 2014 um, when things in my life did change and that's fine you know life goes on Um, but I still can see horses any day I want and have friends with horses and have access to them. I just don't have them anymore on, you know, at this time. Um, there are a lot of responsibility. I loved it. You know, it, it's, it's a lot of responsibility. It's, it's, you know, a, a lot to take on with that lifestyle, but I loved it. Just loved it, especially with my children growing up and having that country lifestyle, you know? So when I write my books, I try to write from uh, authentically from a, from a place of experience, you know? So when I, I try really hard to put, the real details in my books. And I don't know if that comes across. I hope it does, but I don't, I don't take a guy and, and put a Stetson on him and say, okay, I have a cowboy hero who just happens to not be at the ranch. <laughs> I want my characters to be doing cowboy things, you know, and I try to write that from a place either of experience or I research because that's important to me. Like mm-hmm. I said, plus I love writing about it. I loved that lifestyle that I lived the majority of my life. That way I still, you know, have a, a great fondness for it. Um, I try to give my characters sometimes not your typical cowboy jobs. You know, they're not necessarily, especially lately, maybe not so much in my American and Western books, but the heartwarming, especially I have tried to really branch out. And, um, you know, my I know, I know my book that was out last, How to Marry Cowboys, she's a trick writer. She's a professional trick writer in how... The book that comes out that just came out, um, A Secret Christmas Wish. She is a an endurance writer, which was really interesting. I've never I had to learn a lot about that. Competitive endurance writer. Um, they've done wagon. I do a lot of wagons and carriages and things like that. You don't see that in many books. They always do the rodeo or the ranching or the cowboys. Mm-hmm. You know, the guy in this book he leads trail rides. So I try to do some different aspects of the cowboy life to to add more to it. So I have more to just say. Okay, here's another rancher. Or here's another rodeo guy, which they're fine. I love writing ranchers and rodeo guys. But my inspirational book that comes out next year, she's the rancher. So I did that a little bit. And then I had the one book where I had the girls, the three, um, the mother and her daughters who owned the rodeo arena. So it was a rodeo owned by women. Mm -hmm. So I try sometimes to come at it a little differently if I can. Those were American books, you know, but I always try to be very authentic one thing we love about your bibliography is that a lot of your books are part of a part of series. As a writer, what do you enjoy about writing series and have you experienced any challenges with them? Obviously, series are big sellers with readers mm-hmm. because for the same reason we like to write them, they like to read them. And that is, you know, the familiarity of coming back to that community and those people that you have developed a relationship with, you know, through reading. And, you know, it's just it's comfortable and it's, it's enjoyable and I can get to explore another facet of that community or that, that I created. I think Mustang Valley had the most books, I I don't know, 15 books in Mustang Valley. And I have to tell a story about how that series started. If you're interested. (laughs) Yes, please. (laughs) I was literally 
I, at the time I lived um, in North Scottsdale, right in the foothills of what's called the McDowell Mountains. And I, it, was, it was great. I had a fantastic view of these McDowell Mountains and was walking the dogs one like evening after dinner. It was still light outside. I'm walking. And I looked at the mountains. I'm like, you know, you're walking and you're looking. It's beautiful. And I said, you know, I wonder if there's any wild horses that still live up in those mountains. And that was it. I asked myself that question. I'm just walking. I wonder. I started to research it and there are, hmm. and that's how it started. And I, the first book and they were going to capture, I made up a town and I called it Mustang Valley and they were capturing the last wild Mustang in, in the McDonald oh, mountains, you know? And I'm like, that spawned like 15 books. Seriously. <laughs> that one question of, I wonder if there's any wild horses living there. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. But I loved it because I created that community in that town. You know, I could just, populate that whole town that whole fictional town with every little person in business and, and ranch and everything that I wanted you know I just loved it I love that it just it, like inspiration literally can come from anywhere simply I'm, taking a walk that you probably do all the time that's mm -hmm. amazing mm -hmm. well the first my first heartwarming books were Sweetheart Ranch and I tell that story because I was looking for wedding venues for my husband and I and I came across a house in a few towns over that was like a Victorian house. I thought, well, that's really neat. And we didn't get married there, but I just loved that house. And I, I thought, well, I wonder if I made it like a Western ranch. And what if I came up with this Western wedding venue mm. <laughs> and call it Sweetheart Ranch? And that was the start of that, you know? So it's just really interesting. And that was all from looking at researching wedding venues yeah. for yeah. my own wedding. So, but I've done... I will have done eight wedding theme books for heartwarming. And I think I'm going to be done with that. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Pretty well done. I have the last one to finish up. <laughs> I'm be done with wedding books for a little while. <laughs> yeah. Well, A Secret Christmas Wish is your next heartwarming release. And it's book three in your Wishing Well Spring series. Right. Can you tell art listeners about the series and where the inspiration for it came from? that come because wishing well springs is also that's actually a wedding barn and i think i had a friend's daughter was getting married the secret behind that is there's four books in that series and they're all really loosely and when i say loosely cannot stress the word loosely inspired by romantic comedies and the first book in the series was the his holiday bride or the cowboy's mm -hmm. holiday bride and that was based on the matthew mcconaughey movie ghosts of girlfriend's past which is a version of uh, the christmas carol mm-hmm mm -hmm. Take off that, and then um, the a secret Christmas wish is the rom com A Wedding Date, and the How to Marry Cowboy is loosely, loosely inspired by Runaway Bride. Okay, <laughs> Runaway Bride's Maid, and the last one is uh, Twenty Seven Dresses. But they're very, very <laughs> loosely inspired by Zay. I mean, I just took a little, little seed of an idea and and did that. So, but what made I am so happy with this particular book because I was able to write a hero that I been wanting to for a long time and address something that I've been personally wanting to bring a little bit of awareness to and that he is suffering from acute depression and you don't read a lot of romance books where the hero has such you know really depression you know I mean he has acute depression yeah and he's really suffering and it's something you know I've dealt not with myself but people uh, close to me particularly my mother 
dealt with uh, depression through her life. And it was, you know, I think there's a lot of stigma that goes with that when you're, when you have anyone, you know, with any kind of mental illness. And I, I wanted to treat it in a way that was respectful and sympathetic and let people know that this can happen to anybody, you know, and even the people you least expect it to. Um, so I'm very happy with that. I've got a lot of good feedback on that so far, but I also have a heroine who's a single mom. So I have a cute little kid and it's a mm-hmm. Christmas book and they do a lot of fun Christmas stuff. And there's, there's also the lightheartedness to it as well, you know, that aspects, but I really, I was very personally satisfied to write that book and to bring his, his journey to recovery. If that mm-hmm. makes yeah. sense. Yeah, because you know, it's it's an issue, and especially I think in the last you know with the pandemic, a lot of people have been dealing with depression. You know, sure. and I, I want to say, hey, you know, there's no shame in this. It is, you know, it's it's something that happens, and it it is a condition that you can get help for, and you can get treatment, and go on, you know, to live a happy life. And that's what I want to show, you know, with the book. So I'm really pleased that they that they were okay with me doing that. Mm-hmm. And not said no, you know, don't tackle such a such a potentially dark subject, and, and you know what's supposed to be a lighter thing. So that, again, not wanting to be dark here, but you know, because the book's not dark. The book is not dark at all. Mm-hmm. But well, it sounds dealing. like exactly what heartwarming is about. You know, Agreed. the healing and just figuring out. Yeah. Okay, this is what I I live with, and how do I continue on life mm-hmm. knowing right. that I have this? You know, and like bringing it full circle. So it sounds exactly. Like yeah. what and it's a great romantic about. conflict because he's saying, I can't get in a relationship right now. Look at me. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. How can I have a relationship right now when I'm going through this and I'm in this situation? You know, so I really enjoyed writing it. And it's Christmas. It's Christmas. And they work. They both work part time for her sister's company called Your Perfect Plus One, which is a wedding and event dating service. So that's where the little nod to um, the wedding date movie comes in. Oh, okay. So, and they wind up, you know, having to go to these weddings <laughs> as other people's dates. So you've already mentioned a bit uh, that you're going to be writing for Love Inspired and the book's coming out in 2022 called mm-hmm. Wildfire Threat. Yes. What inspired the transition into writing for this line? And I don't know if it's a, you know, I'm on my second book for them. Um, I really am enjoying it. I, I don't know if it's permanent or not yet. You know, time will tell. Uh, Love Inspired, I, I, I guess Harlequin decided to try something new and and I, they're always trying new things, which I really like because it gives opportunities to authors. For instance, Heartwarming going into Walmart is trying something new. Um, so they do a lot of that. And, and uh, they decided to try these what they called collections. They were love-inspired suspense collections. And one collection, I believe, is called Cold Cases. And the other collection was um, Mountain Suspense. Oh, yeah. So okay. that's like you know, man versus nature kind of thing. And my editor, Kathleen, said, why don't you try for this? So I wasn't a shoe-in. I actually had to come up with an idea and submit it. And they had, it was open, you know, again, this was not like by invitation. I mean, yes, she said submit, but, you know, they were looking at submissions, lots Mm -hmm. and lots and lots of submissions. So I was not a shoe-in, but I had an idea and I submitted it and they liked it. And I loved writing the book um, because, again, it goes back to my kind of suspense roots, which I enjoy. I got to do, you know, she's the rancher. She's the cattle rancher. She's literally trying to save the ranch from the fire. Okay, (laughs) But Arizona has, it's very close personally for me because Arizona suffers tremendous wildfires in the summer. I don't know if people know that, but we've had horrible wildfires. Well, always, but in recent years, some really devastating wildfires. 
So it's something that's very much in the news and, and very, you know, uh, we Arizonans think a lot about. And I had to joke because my very first Harlequin uh, American was he was a hot shot. So I actually wrote a previous about Arizona wildfires before. So I went back to that. Um, and I just loved writing it. I, I loved it. It's, it's very full of a lot of action, a lot of adventure. They spend a lot of time on the run. He's a forest ranger. And she's, like I said, the cattle rancher, and they're trying to save her grandparents' cattle and the ranch. Just, you know, get out alive from the fire. So it's pretty, you know, a lot of action-packed scenes. And I like writing the second one, too, because it's the most suspensey book I've probably ever written. And that one, <laughs> that one's much more yeah, <laughs> really exciting. So. Yeah. Still small town, you know, still dealing with that. <laughs> Did you want me to so, talk about that one or is that like a later question? <laughs> well, I mean, if, if it's not too early for you to talk about it, then absolutely. No, no, no that one, she is. Um, I've had this idea for you. I have a really thick idea file. And this has been in my idea file for a long time. I tweaked it a little bit when they asked me if I was interested in submitting another book. And this, uh, she is in witness protection. She witnessed, saw her husband murdered by the, the crime syndicates number two. Um, and she's testifying against him. And so they're transporting her, the marshals are transporting her to, from where she's living in her safe home, you know, in California to te- to Dallas to mm-hmm. testify. And during a blizzard, there's a car accident and she is res- She and the marshal are rescued by the hero. So, and she's a target of the crime syndicate because they don't want her to testify. So they're trying to track her down and eliminate her. So there's, a, again, a lot of action. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I have to do a lot of research on U.S. Marshals for this one, which I never Oh my never gosh, it sounds about. like right up Sarah's alley and I'm absolutely here, I'm, I'm getting like, anxious already. I'm so anxious. (laughs) I, you know, and I'm pretty actually um, came up with the, I had had to email Dana and go, I have a different ending because as I've been writing the book, I came up with a better ending. (laughs) After I turned in everything, I was like, I have a better ending. And I have, I think I got a nice little twist in the end that I came up with. So I know I've been loved writing that. Just loved writing that. I forgot because I enjoy reading suspense. So I, I enjoy writing it and trying to put those twists and turns and keep that tension really high, mm-hmm. you know, and I, the cabin where they are, I think it's really cool. I use this term. You tell me if you've heard this term before, because I used it and, and my critique group said they never heard it. The cabin in my story was built uh, in the late 1990s by Y2K preppers. Have you ever heard that expression? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. When everybody thought the world was going to end. Oh, God, yeah. (laughs) So they built this cabin that, you know, has all these cubbies and bunkers and secret little apartments and, you know, Mm -hmm. little stuff. You know, oh, so that sounds so cool. I could do some stuff with that in the story. And my critique was like, what's a prepper? And I'm like, you have never heard of <laughs> How old are you? <laughs> Living under a pole. I know. I was a kid and I remember that. Like, <laughs> I mean, you know, people were, you know, stockpiling water and money oh, gosh, and yeah. toilet paper. So they have this cab, this really kind of cool cabin that, you know, was built by preppers. So it allows a lot to happen. So anyway. So since you love the suspense so much, have you ever thought of trying your hand at an intrigue? I have not. I have not. Because um, I still, you know, I, no, I have not. But just saying. Know, Sarah loves not, suspense. So she just had to ask. I love <laughs> suspense. I, I do, you know, and I, I'm, you know, because I'm always, you know, like a lot of writers, I'm always thinking of the next book and I'm like, what could I do with my next suspense? So I'm toying with an idea now, you know, mm-hmm. okay. where I can 
Bill Gam, but you know, my first, you know, I, like I said, I, a couple of my Americans had light yes. suspense. Mm-hmm. So, but you know, they don't like, they don't want hard suspense like this. So I don't know. We'll no. see. We'll see. Yeah. But I enjoy, I, I've enjoyed stretching a little bit because I yeah. think, a, you know, you need to stretch a little bit anyway. I've really enjoyed <laughs> it. So anyway. Well, let's get into some of our writing questions. Early bird or night owl? What time of day do you feel the most productive with writing? Um, well, I'm an early bird and mid-morning and mid-afternoon is my most productive. Are you a plotter or a pantser? I'm mostly a plotter, but with some pantsing. <laughs> like I said, I just came up with a new ending. So I allow for... I that allow room, for that wiggle room. There's room yeah. for improvement. Yeah, there is. There is. <laughs> Things change as I write. But I do plot because I do sell you know on Mm -hmm. so i don't have to write the whole book i just have to come up with an idea you know Mm -hmm. so i do have to plot it out though if it's a project you've already been working on will you reread over the previous day's work before beginning yes always are there any necessities you need around you while writing oh well besides my dog having to stay (laughs) my my husband and i got a a new house a couple years ago just about two years ago and i have a great office i have the office of writer's dreams Okay, in this new house, and I have an office that's big enough for a couch, so the dog mm-hmm. thinks he belongs on the couch. <laughs> you know? nice. So, but I do actually uh, listen to. I have. I do really like to have music on, but it has to be no word music. Mm-hmm. It has to be probably mostly. I listen to jazz. Yeah. Um, I sometimes like ambient, or I call it spa music. <laughs> sometimes classical music, but I don't like to listen. I, I don't listen to any music with words because that's distracting to me. And I have to have, unfortunately, the very bad for me soda, diet soda next mm-hmm. week. That is fine. <laughs> Bree, Bree's with you on that one. I <laughs> have a Coke right now. So I have diet Dr. Pepper. <laughs> I have coffee in the morning, coffee in the morning, soda yes. in the afternoon. <laughs> Do you set daily writing goals? Absolutely. <laughs> I actually have a program I use. I, I know how many words I need to write every day to stay on track. Because like I mentioned earlier, I like to turn my books in on time. I try to be very professional. Mm-hmm. So what programs do you use for writing? I'm so old school. I'm so old school. I'm embarrassed. I like none. Um, I think I want to try Scrivener or Plotter, but mm. I haven't done that yet. I'm embarrassed to tell you what word processing program I use. That's how <laughs> pathetically old school I am. I use Don't word be program. embarrassed. We might word have perfect. someone listening that's like, that's how is that too? Word perfect. I love word perfect. I've had it. I can, I'm very proficient at word. I have to convert mm-hmm. everything to word to, to communicate with the rest of the world. So, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know but if I'm writing, I'm writing in word perfect because I just like it. You know, it's what, it's like a car. Mm-hmm. You like to drive a certain kind of car and, it, you know, a little tiny compact's going to still get you there just like a big old dually pickup, but That's you, like, true. you like what you drive, you know, yeah. and I just, I don't, you know, want to learn anything. <laughs> but I think I want to try Scrivener, but I'm not sure. What program do you use for, um, for your word count? I use word track. Is it word track? Right track. Right track. Right track. Okay. Okay. I've never heard um, that. I'm curious. That is a nifty little program, and you can actually plug in, um, like you, you you put in how many words you want to write, you set up a project, mm-hmm. and, and this is my start date, and that's my finish date, and here's how many words I need to write. And then, like, I'm say I'm going on a trip in three days, so I put zero. I actually, you block out those days. So you can, like, mm. that's what you can do. You can go and say, well, I'm not going to be writing those days. So it, it recalculates, or if you go in and say, you know, I had a I had a better day today, mm-hmm. so I wrote a lot more. When you put in your kind of like your what you should write versus what you actually write, it could change it. So if you have a really good day, it, it's going to say, oh, you don't have to write as much tomorrow. You know what I mean? It, okay. It, 
keeps calculating everything. I really like it. And I think it's really free or maybe it's very, very inexpensive. Anyway, I like it. You find yourself stumped on a scene. Who do you call or what do you do? I'm of the Nora Roberts school on this. I just keep writing. I okay. just write through it. If it's terrible, and if it's terrible, I know it's terrible. And I, I do these little notes to myself. I have this like little abbreviation. Like one thing is NB, which needs needs better. <laughs> I need needs better, you know. But I just keep writing, and then so often. I, I like, this is terrible. I know it's terrible, but I'm going to get down. Is what's happening, what's basically supposed to happen? Maybe it's not great. Maybe the emotion's not there. Maybe there's no character growth, whatever. But it's basically what needs to happen, supposed to, is it happening? Mm-hmm. So I write through it. And then later, you know, always later, I'm walking the dog in the evening or whatever. And I'm like, oh, that's what I need to do. Yeah, I got to go back. And then I make a note. Okay, that's what that's what will fix it. Or when I go through and edit it the next day, it'll, it'll come to me. But I just push through. Mm-hmm. Okay. I just push through. So let's get into some backlist questions. Which book from your backlist do you remember laughing the most while writing? These are so painful. These are painful questions. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. You're going back into these horrible things at the beginning of my career that are horrible books. Okay. When I wrote the book, Real Ben Sell Bras, I thought it was the funniest thing that I'd ever <laughs> <laughs> It is such a terrible book. Do not go back and read it. Do not. I, I know that there are copies out there in the world that exist that you can find online. Please do not get them. Okay. <laughs> I thought, I thought, it was hilarious. I remember laughing like at one point, going, this is so funny. I'm hilarious. Look at me. But please don't read it. Nobody out there read it. Nobody out there. <laughs> Which book from your backlist was the toughest to write? You know, there's probably been a few, but I'm going to say the of the most recent ones that was tough to write was the book, How to Marry a Cowboy. And that one, and I, I, I'm going to admit, I'll be honest, I don't think I nailed that book. Um, she has a lot of abandonment issues. And I tried to, in her journey, have her, first of all, realize that she had abandonment issues and then learn to deal with them, you know, and have a heart to heart with her mom and learn mm-hmm. learn about how the things in her life had affected her and why she had these abandonment issues. And I don't think I nailed it. It was really hard. I'm going to be honest, you know, luckily I never experienced any feelings of abandonment to the degree that I tried to write this, this character. So I don't know if it's because I couldn't relate to that emotional loss that I was trying to portray, but I found that really hard. And I had to do some tough revisions on that book. There was some tough revisions on that book. And I still, I don't think I nailed it, to be honest with you. So another book on the Kathy McDavid list of don't necessarily go out and read that one. There's things I did like about it. There's things Mm -hmm. I did like about it. And I like the hero, but I I struggled with her flaw, whatever you want to say it, you know, her wound, Mm -hmm. her wound, and then her healing and growth. I, I, you know, it was hard. Like I said, and maybe because I didn't have the experience with it. Is there a book in your backlist with a character or scene that still comes across your mind? You know, I will, I will tell everybody it's, I'm not going to say it's my best written book. The first book I sold to Dorchester, which was the gate to Eden remains one of my favorite books. It is probably what you would call the book of your heart. If you want to say that, um, partly because it was my first sale where I did get to see my book in bookstores, but I love that story. Mm-hmm. And I felt like, you know, you know, it was a Western historical. So I love it was my not my first Western. My two books for Avalon were Westerns as well. But, um, you know, I just loved so many scenes in that book. You know, I, I mean, so much about that. It was just for me, you know, had a lot of really strong conflict in the book. And I liked it. Which book in your backlist took the longest to write? 
the very first book took the longest. That took me 11 months, but, okay. but I, you get better. The earlier ones took longer. I'm faster now. You know, I think it's, it's just like anything you get, the more you do it, mm-hmm. the faster you get. So let's get to some round out questions. Okay. Who is one of your most read authors? Well, I have a few, but I'm going to say them. Um, and they're again, cause I'm old school, but love Susan Elizabeth Phillips, Susan mm-hmm. Elizabeth Phillips, Sandra Brown, uh, Sandra Brown was, I don't know. She, I read like probably all her books. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm going to probably butcher her name. Judy, is it Picold? Picold? Oh, Judy yeah. And re- more recently, I've been reading a lot of Lorraine Moriarty. So tell us about one of your under the bed stories, something you've written that will never see the light of day. I thought apparently years ago that <laughs> I could try my hand at, I guess I would say not quite a cozy mystery. A cozy mystery romance would be more worth okay. A cozy mystery with a strong romance. And the name of the book was Murder on Wheels. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like such a cozy mystery, mystery title. title. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and the wheels are not because it's cars. It's the wheels because the guy's family owned the skating rink. <laughs> I don't think I've seen that in the cozy mystery section. <laughs> it's a great idea. <laughs> yes, it's awesome. <laughs> and, the, and the mayor of the small town was murdered in the skating rink. Okay. <laughs> Death on the rinks. So I, oh my gosh. I'm like, I, and I literally pitched that book at comments to an editor. <laughs> she has to see it. Anyway, it's horrible. It's horrible. <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm excited about this. So maybe that editor just. <laughs> I need to go back. You need to do a new kit. Revise, revise. <laughs> I need to update it and look at it again. Yeah. <laughs> that would be so fun. Murder oh on wheels. Isn't that hilarious? I, I know. <laughs> And I remember the opening of the book, she gets caught. She's going to uh, driving somewhere in the actual opening. She she gets caught in a funeral procession. <laughs> oh, that's the worst. Funerals where, you know, the lights are, and she's like, you know, and she can't get out of it. Right. <laughs> One of the cozy mystery series that I'm reading right now, it is literally a talking skeleton that the (laughs) protagonist keeps up in her basement. His name is Sid. It's fantastic. If we can have that, we can have like a skating right. One of these days, I'll pull it back out and take a look. (laughs) (laughs) What's a romance you've read within the past few years that reminded you of why you love the genre? Well, I actually, again, speaking of Sandra Brown, not this last book, I just finished a book that was okay. Um, but the one before that, I went back and I found a Sandra Brown book I hadn't read called Smash Cut, and I went back and read that. And it was so um, typical, not typical, stand, you know, just quintessential Sandra Brown, mm-hmm. you know. So anyway, and I thought, yeah, this is what I love, you know. And it's not a new book. I, I don't know. It's 12 or 15 years old, you know, but... But I enjoyed it because I thought this is what I like about romance books. Tell us one of your teen girl obsessions. It's still an obsession. And it, I was a theater nerd, so I didn't know that. <laughs> but I still am. And in fact, last night we went to the musical Mean Girls. <laughs> oh, my oh, God. Fun. <laughs> so I have I have season tickets to the uh, ASU Gamage here. And I have for years. Um, but I just love musical theater. And I got introduced to it as a child, literally as a child. Um, I'm going to date myself a little bit, but I was quite young. And my mom took us to see uh, 
The Sound of Music and Shirley Jones. Remember Shirley Jones Mm -hmm. played Maria and it was like a touring production. And I mean, she was a big star. It was kind of a big deal. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, she was a star then she was a Broadway star, you know, and I fell in love, just fell in love with musical theater as a little kid Mm -hmm. and uh, participated it during high school and still love it, which has nothing to do with anything else in my life. It's just the thing I really like. That's okay. Uh, name one film you'll never stop watching. Spencer's Mountain. I've probably seen it 25 times. Wow. You guys are like, who's even heard of that? Henry Fonda and um, Maureen O'Hara. Mm-hmm. It was actually, if you ever watch it, the it was based on the book by the guy. The show The Waltons was based on this movie, which oh, was okay. based on the book. And so you'll see similarities if you watch it i saw it as a kid like on television it was a rerun you know and i loved it i uh oh the guy who plays the the young the oldest son in that who was the john boy character only his name is clay my son's name is clay james mcarthur james mcarthur okay i just googled it i thought he was so cute and i would be like six and i had such a crush on but I love that movie. And if you think, if you look at it, it's it's small town. It's I mean, it is like literally heartwarming. I was going to say it looks very days, heartwarming. <laughs> days gone by, you know, it, it's mm-hmm. the family. It's, the you know, so it's and I've seen it so many times and I would sit down and watch it right now if it was, on. Mm. you know, uh, it, I just loved it. And it's just a great family, you know, movie. Anyway, mm-hmm. what is one hill you will wholeheartedly die on? Um, if you mean like writing related and that's how I took it. And this is what I was going to talk about earlier when you, when you said you were starting to write, um, a strong romantic conflict, Mm -hmm. because I feel like I read books and I'll read content. I'll be judging and kind of, you know, judge contest entries and stuff, and they don't have a strong romantic conflict. And that's one thing I work very hard on is, you know, what why can't this couple have a normal dating relationship? Why can't they meet and say, Hey, I like you. I like you too. Let's go out. Let's date, you know, which happens in real life, but in our romance books, we're going to have a conflict. So look at, like I was saying the book that's out now, he has acute depression. That's a strong romantic conflict. Yes. They both work for the same company and they have a no fraternizing clause clause in their contract, which is okay. That's a conflict, Mm -hmm. but the stronger conflict is he's not able to, you know, He's not at a place in his life where he really should get involved with anybody. You know, I want a strong romantic conflict. And I try to write that in my books. And I find a lot of times when the book is not going well for me, it's because I don't have that strong romantic conflict. I don't Mm -hmm. find it really powerful. And so that is a hill I will die on. Well, I love that you said that because I feel like as I embark on this writing journey and I've never ever have even imagined myself writing a story but mm-hmm. just from Sarah and I doing this the podcast and us talking and us talking about books and talking about shows like we know how important that is and that is I feel like the part that intimidates me and seems mm-hmm. the most difficult and I'm like I read these books every day right. it should be easy to figure out a strong conflict and it right. is so hard mm-hmm. <laughs> like the one I'm writing now where she's in witness protection, you know, there it is. She's in witness protection. How do you meet somebody? You know, I mean, 
I guess it's kind of possible, but you'd have to ask that person to give up their life mm-hmm. to join you in witness protection. That's a big ask. Mm-hmm. And especially when, you know, cause I always ask the question, what more can I add to make it harder? So for him, he has a mother with multiple sclerosis. So he helps with her care. If he goes mm-hmm. into witness protection with her and leaves his life, he's leaving a, his family and a, a parent with a health issue, yeah. Yeah. a significant health issue. You know, so that's a big ask. That's a strong romantic conflict. News though, they're going to work it out. Yeah. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Right. Gonna, There's a happy ending at the end. I'm really happy ending. <laughs> you know, because I love writing it because one of the things I look at is, is, I get, I get a little, pa- not passionate about this, but you know, I don't know. It, it is a little passionate, but I feel like when I write romance books, you know, you're working so hard. So you put these big obstacle in front of them and, and yes, there's external conflict too. So you're working on all these obstacles you put in their path, but you've got to build this relationship. So you're, you're, you're building the attraction, you're building the romance, you're, you're doing all that while you're throwing all these obstacles in front of them. And then you really literally got to tear that relationship apart mm-hmm. And, and then you've got to resolve it and put it back together, but you have to do it in a way that's organic to the story. And that makes sense. You know, you can't just say, oh, and everything worked out and you know what, uh, their old friend showed up and solved the problem for that. And I just read a book with that. That was really disappointing mm-hmm. because it was literally a friend of the mom's just showed up and said, well, I'm going to solve all your problems. And I said, where did that come from? You know, they didn't earn their happily ever after they have to work at it. They have to you know, grow and compromise and change and, you know, and make sacrifices or whatever. But I work, you know, I want to do it in such a way that it's believable. I don't want somebody to read and go, oh, that wouldn't work. I want them to Mm -hmm. say, yes, I believe that the relationship fell apart and I believed that they were able to put it back together. Well, we know that we have a love inspired romance coming up from you next, but other than that, is there anything maybe on your mind you're thinking of writing or anything else that you actually have in the pipeline that well, you can share I, with us? You know, I have, well, everybody has their little, somebody, I can't remember what author coined the phrase, but it was called the Sunday book. And, and she, I remember hearing her speak somewhere and she said, you know, you work on your, your contract book or whatever you're working on your, your main book. Mm -hmm. six days a week, but then you have your Sunday book where you spend a little bit of time working on something else that is either something new you want to try or, you know, something different. And so I have a couple Sunday books projects, but Mm -hmm. one is a screenplay. I'm trying to write a screenplay and I, I speaking, I I was actually got invited to um, a production company here in Phoenix. And I said that that makes movies little, you know, low budget movies. And Mm -hmm. I said, you should do romance. And they're like, well, do you have an idea? And I'm like, well, sure. I have an idea. And they said, give me a screenplay. And I kind of took it to heart. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm trying, but it's different. It's very different. Mm -hmm. I try to work on it when I can, but it it is really different, but I have an idea. So that's just one thing I'm playing with. And I also am playing with another kind of a straight fiction book. But the last time I tried playing with that, I got really negative feedback from my critique group and my agent. They were like, that book's terrible. So (laughs) I'm trying another one. (laughs) A straight fiction book, something very, very different. Okay. Not romance at all. Yeah. Yeah. I hope I would love to see more romance on film, like low budget, high budget, whatever. I just want to see it. So yeah. Yeah. Well, this company does, you know, um, 
movies along the lines of of um like the movies harlequin makes you know mm-hmm. that they partnered with like brain powers to do and stuff like that so those the, that level of production okay mm-hmm. but I, yeah but they i'm just, just they i mean like see i love seeing especially books that i know our category being adapted i mean this year alone i've seen like Thule publishing especially like gac mm-hmm. and hallmark are right. both adapting a lot of their titles and i'm like yes we have an entire genre of books mm-hmm. that you can adapt to movies people so, right. so. Oh, I know. Well, like i said so i opened my mouth and and uh they do movies, but they don't do romance, you know. Okay. So I said, well, you should do romance. I said, there is a huge market for this. Yes. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to turn one of my books that I published independently, you know. Oh, okay. They were like, well, how about one of your Harlequin books? And I'm like, oh, I don't think that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> might be right a little difficult. Yeah. I'll get back to you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I got this Western. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, but, um, so I'm trying one of the things i wrote independently published some but who knows it may go nowhere but it's a it's a learning experience and i like trying i like trying new things Mm -hmm. i just like you know there's there's no harm in trying new things and so and when you are either or both of you ready to have somebody look at what you're writing give me a holler oh gosh thank you you. (laughs) it may be a while but i don't like looking at it myself at this point so (laughs) i joke there I didn't tell you the story. I actually wrote my very first romance book, which was a romance. And I mentioned, you know, being a sophomore in college. Well, I wrote my first romance book in college. And I wish I had it because I wrote it on a typewriter. <laughs> and I know I'm dating myself again. Word processor. You, they didn't have home word processors back then. Mm-hmm. You know, you had to use them at the college, but I had a typewriter. And I wrote it, which actually, now that I look back, was a novella, but I thought it was a whole book. (laughs) (laughs) And I did. I wrote a romance book. You know, I wish I had it. I lost it somewhere through the years, but that would have been a hoot, wouldn't it? Wow. Oh, Lord, yeah. Yeah. You know, but I put that away and I thought, okay. But I wanted to be a writer. I so wanted to be a writer in college. I I worked part-time at the Phoenix Zoo. I was going, I went to issue my junior and senior year. I worked at the part-time at the Phoenix Zoo and I would actually write my little books while I was working and it was slow <laughs> and I like, I want to be a writer. I want to be a writer. It took mm-hmm. me a long time though. Lastly, where can everyone find you online? Well, you know, I, I focus on certain social media. So there's mm-hmm. uh, Facebook is Kathy McDavid books. That is, I have a lot going on there. I do have Twitter under Kathy McDavid. I am venturing into TikTok. I have some stuff on TikTok. <laughs> McDavid. Um, I'm trying to learn the art of making TikTok videos. Um, but if you email me, I have a new monthly newsletter, Kathy McDavid at yahoo.com is a good way. I, I'm on Instagram, also Kathy McDavid right Kathy McDavid Kathy McDavid writer WTR, not written out writer, but I don't do a lot on Instagram. I'm really terrible. I focus mostly on Facebook and Twitter and apparently now TikTok, which <laughs> I am enjoying making little book TikTok, book talks. Is that what they call them? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. you're, you're exactly right. Yep. And, yep. and there's some cat ones in there because I have my cat Ozzy and he's quite the little <laughs> I'm always down for cat videos. Or I cat know. <laughs> star of my he's a star of my newsletter he has his own column and every month people write me about okay that's him. awesome i know i know <laughs> they write me about ozzy like you know he Ozzie's has his, his own column that just <laughs> <laughs> 
He does. <laughs> you know, he's very popular. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he, he has some health issues and he's better now, but people are like, I was so worried about Ozzy. <laughs> but he's doing good now. <laughs> well, thank you so much for yes. sharing your time with us and letting us pick your brain and talk books and talk writing. We have been yeah. so excited for this and Thank yes, thank you so much for for talking mm-hmm. to us it's, tonight. It's, it's been a delight <laughs> to finally talk to you in person. Yes, thank you. Well, and, listeners, uh, make sure you check the show notes. We will have links to all the places where you can find and keep up with Kathy Kathy McDavid. Make sure mm-hmm. if you're on TikTok that you go and follow her. Now that we know she's, <laughs> she is <Yeah>. on there, <laughs> we always want to support authors on TikTok because that's right. Yes, that's like the new thing now. So make sure you check the show notes. We'll also have links to all the places where you can find her books. The Wishing Well Springs series is out, guys. So make sure mm-hmm. that you you know are checking out this current series that she has in progress and what's to come for 2022. We are so excited. So yes. All of that will be listed in the show notes and Sarah and I will chat with you guys in our next episode. Have a lovely day, everybody. 